0: Take your Bibles, see if I can get this right. We're going to go to Isaiah 44, Isaiah 44, and talk about what to do in a drought, what to do in a drought. Isaiah 44, what to do in a drought. The first winter that I was here at Elmira Baptist Church was the 2018-2019 Winter. Some of you remember that was also a very rainy year. We decided that my family had brought the rain down from Oregon. <laughs> and then it was very dry, 2019, and then 2020, 2021, again, very dry winters. And now we have a lot of rain again this winter. So I'm wondering which of you brought it <laughs> with you. I'm going to blame my parents. They came from Alaska. So uh, next time we have a couple of dry years, we need to find someone to move to our community <laughs> from a rain-soaked area. But the prophet, Isaiah, uh, the prophet Amos, we're going to look at Isaiah 44, stay there. But the prophet Amos describes a different kind of drought and another kind of famine. In Amos chapter 8, this is what Amos prophesies by the word of the Lord. God says, behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north, even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. There's a thirst the word of God. And though they try, though they search for it, though they run to and fro, they don't find it. Now, the welcome rains of the past few months may have eased our state's drought, the physical drought. But there is an ongoing drought and an ongoing famine in our land. It's not a lack of water. It's a lack of God's word working powerfully in our lives. And because it's working powerfully in our lives, it overflows and works powerfully in the lives of others. We call this when God's word works powerfully in God's people's lives first, and then overflows and affects the community, we call this revival. We've been looking at this term revival. And when we are in a drought for the word of God, what is it that we ought to do? Yes, collectively as a church, but what is it that we ought to do as individuals in this drought now i've been giving you some symptoms symptoms of revival and let me remind you of what they are revival is that life of the spirit refreshed and renewed revival is enthusiasm revival is energy revival is action john 10:10 10, 10, jesus says i am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly do you have that abund- abundant life Now, there is eternal life that we all have by God's grace in Christ Jesus. Those of us that are God's children, that are saved, that have been justified. We talked about that word about a month ago now. We have eternal life. This is an addition to eternal life. God wants us to have that abundant life as well. Do you have it? You can. This morning in Scotty's Sunday school class, he talked about how, according to God's word, we have access to all of God's riches of grace. And yet we act like we're spiritual paupers. We act like the bank has failed and we can't get our withdrawals anymore. And it's not true. God wants us to have that abundant life. Revival, second symptom of revival that we see over and over in the Bible is a spirit of prayer, a renewed spirit of prayer. Have you experienced in your own life a renewed spirit of prayer? Now, what I've experienced already is not just the renewed spirit of prayer, but the renewed opposition from my flesh and from my circumstances that will keep me from praying. It's funny. One missionary said, when you get on your knees to pray, it's the window blind that needs to be adjusted that you noticed. (laughs) So true. Revival is a renewed spirit of prayer. Revival requires a spirit of prayer, because as we learned last week, revival power is God's power. It's not my power. It's God's power, not the organization. It's miraculous power, not something that we can explain. It's unstoppable power. Revival is marked by the confession of sin. It's marked by repentance and a renewed commitment to sanctification among Christians, Because sanctification only happens after justification. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago, too. And when the results of revival, the results of revival always are that God is exalted, that God's power is revealed, that God is glorified. It's not that Christians become famous. It's not that a particular preacher becomes well-known. It's that God gets glorified. But when we're in a drought... Even if other people around us are not interested in revival, even if other people around us aren't interested in prayer, even if others aren't around us, aren't interested in the power of God, in God's sanctifying work in our lives, I can experience personal renewal and an increased devotion to God. You don't have to wait for me. You don't have to wait for the church. You don't have to wait for your spouse. Young people, you don't have to wait for your parents. Old people, you don't have to wait for the young people. We can experience a personal renewal. That's why the psalmist says, Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Now, there are other psalms where the psalmist includes the nation of Israel, includes his own family. But in this case, Psalm 51, it's create in me, renew a right spirit in me. And I want to encourage you today that you don't have to wait. This drought that we're experiencing, this lack of the word of God is real in our nation. But you don't have to experience it. You can have personal revival even if no one else experiences it. Look at Isaiah 44 with me and I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 8. And I want you to see how many times in this short section he says, fear not. Isaiah 44, 1 through 8, yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the watercourses. One shall say, I am the Lord's. And another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And beside me, there is no God. And who is I shall call and shall declare it and set an order for me since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it, ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. We're going to look at this passage after I pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for offering to pour water on the one, who is thirsty. Thank you that you're the God yesterday, today, and forever, that there is no change with you. You don't get any better because you're perfect and you don't become any worse because you're perfect. And in all your ways, you are infinite and without peer. There is no God beside you. And father, what we want is we want a fresh outpouring of your Holy spirit in our lives you've not withheld it. We're at fault, Lord. We want to be filled with your spirit as you command us to be. We want to radiate, exhibit the fruit of the spirit every day without fail because your Holy Spirit is working through us. We want to have a renewed relationship with you, a renewed fellowship with you where we walk beside you. And what a blessing it is that you promise that if we turn to you, you will turn to us, that you're more interested in walking beside us than we are interested in walking beside you. What a God you are. We worship you this morning, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to take this scripture and make it alive to our hearts. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. When it comes to this personal renewal, when it comes to increased devotion, when it comes to revival, I want you to note, first of all, that revival is always based on the greatness of our God, never on the greatness of his people. If you're hoping, boy, if we just get this right, if we just, you know, find a way we can make it happen. You can't make revival happen. I can't make revival. happen. I'm not preaching on this because I think I can manipulate you or set you up. I'm preaching on this because I want to exalt God. He's great. He's amazing. And so often we're so focused on our problems and our circumstances. We're focused on the irritants in our lives. The people who disappoint us, the people who upset us. Uh, We have financial issues. We have work issues. We have to go to the DMV and it's like the end of the world. Instead of noticing how great a God we have. So just in this passage alone, I want you to see some things about God. First, that God is God alone. The end of verse 6 says, there is no God. In other words, beside me. Verse 8, yea, there is no God. I know not any. There is no God but the God of the Bible. Now, there are false gods. There are many idols. People have made gods of things. We have come, Americans have come to worship the creation rather than the Creator. But those are all false gods. Only the God of the Bible is the true God. Second, God is our King. He is our Redeemer. He is our Protector. He is our Warrior. He is our Hero. Look at, um, at verse 6 with me. It says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, his Redeemer the Lord of hosts, when you see that phrase, the Lord of hosts, recognize that that is God's fighting name. The host is all those legions of angels that God controls. The host is a a reminder to us that God not only controls legions of angels, but by the word of his mouth, he can destroy his enemies. He is the one who's protecting us. He's the one who has redeemed us. That's why he says twice in this passage, fear not. Don't be afraid, he says, because God is on our side, or better yet, let me say it this way we, by God's grace, are on his side. He's made us his children. How could he abandon us? Number three, God is beyond time, he's beyond comprehension. He says, I am the first and I am the last. In verse 6, verse 7, who as I shall call and declare it and set it in order. In other words, I've told you what's going to happen in the future. And has God's word ever failed us? No. We failed the Bible. God's people in the Old Testament failed him time and again. God's people in the New Testament failed God. But God has never failed his people. We serve a great God. He's sovereign. Among other things, when we say he's sovereign, it means that God is in control. And that's why, by the way, he can foretell the future, because he literally controls the future. He decides what will happen. He sets up governments and he casts other governments down. Are you concerned about global warming or climate change? I'm more concerned about godless living. Are we concerned about economic collapse or... Banks collapsing, I'm more concerned about moral collapse. Polarization in politics, how about apathy in our personal devotions? Our problem is not the world around us. We have, again, the riches, the infinite riches of a gracious God at our disposal. Revival is based on who God is. God's sovereign; He's in control. He's our provider. In verse three, He says, "I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, I and floods upon the dry ground." Now, I began working on this message some time ago, several weeks ago, uh, and and the recent floods have only brought illustrations to this. Who can stop water when it floods? Some of you saw the roadway in the Santa Cruz Mountains that had been washed away by flowing water. Some of you are familiar with the levee that broke in uh, Monterey County and inundated a whole town. When levees break, when bridges go down, there's nothing you can do. And it's a powerful reminder, that the floods upon the dry ground is a powerful reminder that when God chooses to work, no one's going to stop him. Are you... So revival is possible because it's based on God's greatness, not on our greatness. Secondly, revival is possible because we are God's chosen. Twice he says that. Verse 1, whom I have chosen. And at the end of verse 2, whom I have chosen. Ephesians 1, 4 tells us, according as he hath chosen us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, before him in love. God chose us. God chose us. Now, he didn't choose us because we're good people. He didn't choose us because he needs us. He didn't look down and say, oh, that Scott guy, boy, but I don't want to miss out on him. No, no, no. God chose us because he's merciful. God chose us because he's merciful. So I'm asking you, are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? Have you been born again? When he chooses us, he chooses us in him, in Jesus Christ. Are you in Christ Jesus? Do you even know what that means? It means that I've come to a place in my life where I recognize my own sinfulness, my own selfishness, my, my own inability to save myself. I come to God, I say, it's, I'm not here because I'm here to bargain. There, there's nothing I have to offer God, is there? There's no righteousness in myself. The Bible says all my righteousnesses, Plural, all my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But I come to God and in the name of his son, Jesus, who died for us, who rose again, who shed his blood to redeem us. It's in, in Jesus Christ that I find forgiveness. That God says, son, I, I, yeah, you blew it. I mean, you, you had messed it up. You deserve, we deserve sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We, we like to play with sin. We like to think that there's little sins and there's big sins. And as long as I don't do a big sin, I'm okay. The Bible doesn't describe it that way at all. James tells us that if we were to keep the whole law and just break one of the laws, we'd be a lawbreaker. Doesn't matter how big or how small that law is. But when I come to God, humble, recognizing my sinfulness, and God's greatness, then God freely forgives me. Again, not because I was humble, not because I figured it out, but because God chose me. And Revival is possible because God has chosen us. Revival is possible because God desires to bless his people. Notice in verse three, and we're going to come back to this in a minute. We're going to really hammer this phrase, but think about this. I will pour water on whom? Whom does God promise to pour water on? The one who is thirsty you can see it. It's as if God has this rain cloud of water overhead, right? He has a rain cloud of water and all you have to do is say, God, I'm thirsty. It's a drought. We need help. And he's ready to rain water. I will pour water on him that is thirsty, but not just pour water. I will pour floods upon the dry ground. I grew up in the central valley, not the central valley, the Sacramento Valley. It's the Northern Valley. I grew up in the Sacramento Valley in the early eighties. And that was when we had enough water in this state that they had few, the orchards of prunes and they had orchards of walnuts, particularly up there. And they would literally flood the fields with feet of water. Some of you are familiar with the acre feet measurement, you know, Shasta dam has some blocks so many acre feet of water. That's because they literally would take feet of water and just dump it on the ground. They'd pump it out of the irrigation ditches, out of the irrigation canals. Not pump it. They would use, uh, anyway, it's not important how they got it there. They got water all over. And it would be feet deep. I remember being a little kid and my parents saying, hey, don't go out there. I know it looks like fun, but that is just a muddy, mucky mess. And that water would sometimes take weeks, weeks to soak into the ground. And all summer long, in in the 110, 115 degree heat of summer, Guess what? Those trees had a supply of water in the ground because they had been flooded. God doesn't promise to give us a drink of water. He promises to soak the ground for us. He promises to pour out his spirit, his blessings on our children. Now think about that. He promises to pour out his blessings, his spirit upon our children. Now, let me go back in time a little bit so I can make a point about 2023. I was born about the time the book The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey was written. How many of you are familiar with the book The Late Great Planet Earth? Okay. He predicted, well, predicted is too strong. He suggested strongly that the world was coming to an end in the 1980s. I'm sure glad my parents didn't listen to that guy. <laughs> because if I had read that book in the 70s, I would have said, have children? Have children? They won't even get out of high school. But here's God's promise. I'll pour water upon him that is thirsty. I will pour floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessings upon thine offspring. So here we are in 2023 and people say to me, you know, I I think the world's coming to an end. And it's, you know, why even have children? I'm sure glad my parents didn't say that in the 1970s. I commend each one of you that by God's grace have children. We don't know how long we're going to be here. I, I, I agree with Henry Vallas. If God comes back today, if God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to take us home to be with him today, I will be happier than anything. But I can't guarantee you that's going to happen today or tomorrow or next year or 10 years from now or even 20 years from now. But I can tell you this. We have a God who wants to pour water on the one that's thirsty. He wants to pour floods upon the dry ground he wants to pour his spirit his blessings upon our children that's why we, we should seek revival because revival the results are fantastic they're miraculous they are life changing our children need to see this life changingness about revival but there's some hindrances And I'm going to focus on just one today, the one that's mentioned in the text. The hindrance in this text to revival. The reason that we miss the, I will pour waters on him that is thirsty. The reason that our children don't experience his spirit poured out upon them and his blessing poured out upon them. What stands in the way? We'll go back again to verse three. And who is it that God promises to pour water on? The one who is thirsty. We looked at Psalm 63, 1 in our scripture reading. Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Do you feel that way spiritually? There is no water here. You don't go to work and find it refreshing because you have Christian brothers and sisters who are strengthening your hands in in the Lord. In fact, some of you go to work and you're actively opposing the powers of darkness. We've talked about it. You don't find when you go to the store that you're constantly bumping into people who are Christians and encouraging you. We live in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. But I tell you this, God says, I will pour water on him that is thirsty. And I ask you the question, can God be found when his children seek him. Can God be found when his children seek him? Let me read you a couple texts. Isaiah 55, 6. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Jeremiah 29, 13. Jeremiah 29, 13. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And Hebrews 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please him, for they that come to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I met with a young man this week, and he said to me, I found out that when I seek God, God's there. God doesn't play hide and seek with us. He isn't. Somewhere else, and we go looking for him, and he's not there. We're not looking. The question is not whether or not you can find God, the question is whether you're searching for him. The question is not, does God have enough water for those that are thirsty? The question is, do you realize that you're thirsty? Because if you want God's water to drink, you must be thirsty. So I'm asking you this morning, are you thirsty? Do you say, God, pour water on me. I'm thirsty. I need help. So often we're like the Laodicean church. We're self-sufficient. What does the Laodicean church say in Revelation chapter 3? I have need of nothing. So God says, you're poor and you're wretched and you're miserable and you're naked. And the church says, no, 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 we're good. God, go bless someone else bless someone else. We need to pray, pray, God bless me. But the reason we don't ask God to bless us is because we're already full. As long as we're full, there, there is nothing that God will do. It's amazing that God gives us the ability to say, no, thank you. I'm full. But we can say to God, I don't need you. And he'll say, okay, I'll go find someone who is thirsty. Are you thirsty? I have a little illustration, and the illustration, unfortunately, involves switching metaphors. So some of you are going to have to ask your spouse when you get home what in the world he was talking about. (laughs) But we're going to switch metaphors. I know that this text is, I will pour water on him that is thirsty. But in this case, we're going to ask that vegetable oil represent the Holy Spirit. Now, other passages in the Bible talk about the Holy Spirit as the oil. And in fact, one of the symbols of Old Testament prophets pouring oil on the head of the king was to, was to symbolize the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But some of you are familiar, and some of you may not be, but some of you are familiar that oil and water, they don't mix, do they? In fact, uh, how many of you remember, maybe in high school, maybe some other place, you pour some oil in the water and what rises to the top? The oil rises to the top. Now, initially, of course, there's, there's some sort of mixed through, but eventually that oil rises to the top. So as I pour more water into, and this is why we have a basin up here, as I pour more water into this, what gets pushed out first? Not the water, the oil. And you know what? That's how our lives are. The first thing to go when I'm proud, the first thing to go when I'm self-sufficient, The first thing to go when I don't care, the first thing to go when I'm apathetic, the first thing to go when I'm busy, the first thing to go when I'm stressed and I'm not resting in the Lord, the first thing to go is what? The Holy Spirit. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. That's not what I'm saying. The Bible makes it very clear. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But he also tells us to be filled with the Spirit, which indicates that as a Christian, sometimes we can not be filled with the Spirit. Because we're filled with self. And I'll tell you why we don't have God's water poured out upon us, because we're full of ourselves. We say, I don't need it. I'm good. I'm going to try a little bit harder next week, Lord. And I'm telling you, you can't do it by yourself. Now, God needs your cooperation. He needs you to throw open the doors and say, God, pour water on me. He needs you to lift up an empty cup and say, God, fill my cup. If we're thirsty, if we want God's power to change us, then we must be broken people. You remember what the psalmist says in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, thou wilt not despise. But until we're broken, we're so full of water, we're so full of ourselves that there isn't any room for the Spirit. So the first thing we need to do if we want the Spirit to fill us is we've got to empty ourselves of ourselves and say, God, you know my sin. You know my selfishness. You know how I want things my way. You know how I want to be in control. I give that to you because I want you to be in control. Are you thirsty? Let me ask you some questions. They're not, they're they're rhetorical questions, but I do want you to give them some thought because I believe if you're thirsty, you know it. And I believe if you're not thirsty, you can know it. So did you come this morning to our time of worship expecting to hear from God? Did you come just to see your friends? many years, I went to church just to see my friends. I knew those people there. They were kind to me, and I'm glad they were kind to me. Don't be mean to each other but I wasn't coming to meet with God. Psalm 61 again, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Is that my prayer? Is that your prayer? Are you thirsty? Do you come to these meetings on Sunday morning expecting to worship God? Do you realize that when we gather, now we can worship God at home, and I hope you did this past week, but when we gather, we're not just getting together to make ourselves feel good. We don't sing these songs because, well, you know, I don't know what else to do with the hour and I want to take up some time. It isn't that Warren and Scotty have come to me and say, you know, your preaching's pretty good, but we really want to sing. No, we sing these songs as worship to a God who deserves all our praise. We sing to glorify Him. Are you thirsty? Psalm 63, verse 2, So as to see thy power and Thy glory, so as I have seen it in the sanctuary. See, even in the psalmist's time, they went to a place to worship. So what time did you go to bed last night? Now, I know this is an unfair question. I know it's unfair because we just changed our clocks and we lost an hour of sleep last night. So if I were you, And if I were thirsty, you know what I would do? I'd go to bed an hour early because there are some things that are more important than whatever you did with your last hour last night. But are we thirsty? Did you pray to God in the last 24 hours? Did you pray to God, begging God to speak with you today? Was your prayer, God, I need something from your word. I do. I'm desperate. Or are we self-sufficient? You know, I'm God. God, I'm pretty good. I really think you need to speak to so-and-so though, because he needs help. She needs help. Are we thirsty? When's the last time you opened your Bible and said, God, speak to me from your word today? Now, I'm not just saying open your Bible and read it. I open my Bible and read it every day. But there are some days, I'll be frank, I just open my Bible to read it so I can check it off my mental checklist and say, I read my Bible today. No, no, when's the last time you opened it up, you said, God, I need something from your word today. I will pour water on him that is thirsty. Are you expecting the Holy Spirit to fill you this week? Are you expecting Him to? Are you just going into your day? You know the Holy Spirit's right there with you. Are you letting Him lead you? You say, How will I know? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Are you exhibiting that? Not to me. You're all very kind to me. How about your family? Would your family say, you know, I've seen how they've exhibited long suffering this week. Yeah, I see how they exhibited faith this week. Yeah, I see how they exhibited goodness this week. Are you expecting the Holy Spirit to fill you? Are you thirsty? If God were to ask you for a few extra minutes of your time this week, he would lay it on your heart to spend more time in prayer and in your Bible reading. Would you do it? Would you make time for him? Now, I know you're busy. Some of you, you're mothers. You've you've got things coming and going at you, and I get that. But if God asks you for a few more minutes of your time, would you make time for him? We've got some friends coming down from Oregon. They should be in very late tonight. And so I've already determined that tomorrow is, is free. I haven't scheduled anything tomorrow because I'm not sure what their schedule is. And they have family in the area that I'm sure they'll want to visit with. But I'm also expecting at some point they're going to say, hey, can we get together with you? And you know what I'm not going to say to them? (sighs) You know, I'm a busy pastor and you could have scheduled this last week and you didn't take time to schedule. So no, I'm not going to do that to them. But you know, how many times do you do that to God? I need some more of your time this week. You know, the burdens are pretty heavy right now. I need you to get on your knees and pray about some things. You need some wisdom. You need to open up your Bible and look at some things. God, you don't understand how busy I am this week. Well, then you're not thirsty. I will pour water on him that is thirsty. Has God pointed out a sin to you in the past week? Something that God said, do this, and you said, no, I'm not doing that. Or God said, don't do this, and you said, I'm doing it anyway. How, how often have you been full of yourself this past week? I find myself constantly going into a situation, and I'm going to cap this before it gets tipped over, and Pastor Harder turns over in his grave. <laughs> this last week, God said, "Hey, don't do this. I'm going to do it anyway." And then God convicts you and says, "Hey, you're wrong. You need to confess that. Not to not to me, not to the pastor. This is not not to a priest." But you need to confess it to me. Did you argue with God? Now, I'll tell you what's even worse than arguing with God. It's if you didn't even notice God's conviction this last week. Because you can't convince me that this past week you were perfect. And I believe God's doing a sanctifying work in me. And I believe God's doing a sanctifying work in you. And if you're God's child, there's things that he's brought to your attention this week. And maybe you just blew right past that stop sign. Nope, don't have time to listen to God today. Well, then you're not thirsty. And God says, I will pour water on him that is thirsty. I quoted to you or read to you Isaiah 55 Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. The very next verse let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him turn unto me, and I will have mercy upon him. Are we thirsty? Enough to go to God and say, God, search me. God, know my way. Try my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then as God brings those things to mind, I don't think you need to go deep into your past. I'm talking about that day. Maybe the day previous. Yeah, you you said this. And that was uncalled for. Yeah, you didn't speak up for me. And you should have. Yeah, you went there or you didn't go there or you read this or you didn't read that. I don't know what it is that God's convicting you about, but I know this past week God's convicted me. If I'm thirsty, if you're thirsty, we confess our sin. We say, create, we say with the psalmist, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Could it be that pride and my own self sufficiency is keeping me from personal renewal? and increased devotion. I can have it. You can have it. God says, I will pour water on him that is thirsty. But you say, no, thank you. Think about it. It's a restaurant. You have water in front of you. You're drinking the water. Pretty soon the waitress comes around and she starts pouring glasses. And sometimes I don't want to drink any more water. So I just put my hand over the cup as if to signal to my waitress, no, thank you. I don't need any more. How many times do we do that to God? We have a cup. God wants to fill it. We say, no, thank you. I'm good. I don't need to spend more time in prayer. I'm good. I don't need to spend more time in your word, reading it for personal benefit. I'm good. I don't need more of your grace. I'm good. I don't need more of your Holy Spirit. I, 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 I think I'm doing pretty good at this fathering job. I'm a pretty good husband. What could I need? And God says, I will pour water on him that is thirsty. I said it last week, and I want to say it again. I, I want to get into this new building. I do. But I don't want to get into the new building without this church, Elmira Baptist Church, having God's power. And I'll tell you what keeps us from having God's power, self-sufficiency and selfishness and pride. I expect that during this upcoming Easter season, I I much prefer to call Easter Resurrection Sunday, but in this season that is coming up where we're going to celebrate a Savior who's alive, who rose from the dead, that we're going to have people join us People that wouldn't normally come are going to come just because the kids are singing. Thank you, Christina, for getting them ready. They're going to come because, oh, it's Easter Sunday. That's what they're going to call it. It's Easter Sunday. I'm going to come. And they're going to show up. And you know what they need? They don't need me to preach primarily. They don't need you to invite them primarily, although I hope you invite people and I plan to preach. They need the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to shake them to their core. I've talked to people before. I've given them the gospel. They look at me and say, yeah, nice. Okay, Um, are you done now? That's not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What happened to the Philippian jailer? What must I do to be saved? What happened on the day of Pentecost? Tell us what to do. And and, uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, says, repent. Believe. Folks, we need the power of God. But so often we don't have the power of God because... We're not thirsty. Do do you really want revival? You can have it. Do you really want God's power to sanctify you and to change you? You can have it. You say, what do I need? You need to be thirsty. I will pour water on him that is thirsty. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is see thy power and thy glory, so have I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Even if everyone else around you is thirsty. Even if everywhere else around you is dry as a bone. The Bible says, if you're thirsty, God will pour water out on you. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your promise. I will pour water on him that is thirsty. There is so much that keeps us from being thirsty. There's so much that keeps me from being thirsty. I don't even want to start mentioning things, Lord. What I want you to do is use your Holy Spirit to bring to my attention the distractions and the diversions and the stresses and the busyness and the excuses that keep me from being thirsty. And I want you to bring to my sisters and my brothers throughout the sanctuary. I want you to bring to their attention the excuses and the diversions and the distractions and the busyness and the stresses that are keeping them from being thirsty. And I'm asking, Father, that in your great love and your chastisement, you would bring conviction, smite us with the conviction of the Holy Spirit so that we become thirsty. You promise to pour water on him that is thirsty. But so often, Lord, we put our hand over the cup and we say, I'm good. Forgive us, Father. Forgive me. Before I close in prayer, I would like to give you a chance to respond with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You're a Christian. You know you're saved. That's not the issue. But you also know that there's some reason you are not thirsty. But this morning, you would, by lifting your hand, you'd like to say to God, And to me, because I'm going to be watching, I I want to be thirsty. I want to get rid of anything that's blocking those channels so that I can have the power of God, the Holy Spirit flowing through me. Would you lift your hand? Anyone like that? Thank you. God sees those hands. Thank you. Put them down. Father, you see my hand. You see our hands. We want to be thirsty. We believe you'll pour water. We believe that you reward those who diligently seek you. So teach us what it is to diligently seek you so that you will bless us, so that you'll bless our children, so that you'll bless our offspring, our seed, our descendants. We, We need the power of God flowing through this church. If we're going to pass our faith on effectively to the next generation. So we lift ourselves and our hearts up to you, and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.